One of the things that I enjoy doing as part of our worship on Sunday mornings is I, I enjoy singing harmonies. I enjoy listening to a, a melody and then trying to fit a harmony into that, and I enjoy do that, doing that ever since I learned how to do it when I was in, um, when I was in high school. But when I was in college, I had a wonderful opportunity. I was part of an oratorio society. Now, an oratorio society is one that sings some of the complicated works that are out there, uh, things like um, Haydn's Creation or um, Handel's Messiah and others like that. And I had opportunity to sing several of them. And one of the things that is amazing about singing in an oratorio society is the complicated harmonies that take place. I can't read music like I used to be able to, but used to be able to, as you got together with these groups and they would hand us the music and you would begin to see and there were these amazingly complicated harmonies as the, the bass and the tenors and the altos and the sopranos and each of us would be singing that part and it would be intermingled in such a way that at times it was absolutely overwhelming. One of my favorite pieces is found in Handel's Messiah, and I know everyone's thinking, uh huh, the Hallelujah Chorus. No. In fact, the Hallelujah Chorus is not the high point of Handel's Messiah. It comes, I believe it's at the beginning of the third section as you move in and, and God's kingdom is being established and the, the, the chorus breaks out into the, into the hallelujahs. But at the very end of the Messiah, there are two choral pieces that take place. The first one is Worthy is the Lamb. And it's this strong, majestic, chorus of, of, of just power and, and strength as you sing it. And then just as you finish that piece comes my favorite. It's playing in the background. And this is the Amen chorus to Handel's Messiah. In some way it's incredibly simple. One word through the entire course. Even the melody is fairly easy. That's the alto singing it. It begins with the bass singing the melody. And then the, and then the tenors. And then the altos. And then the sopranos. And then the orchestra. Plays it all by itself. And then as Handel was writing that, he blends it all together, actually more intermingles it all together, as suddenly the piece just explodes into these amens as all of eternity, all of creation, every part of it is singing praise and honor and glory to God, expressed through this entire piece, through that one word. Amen. Now, we don't have time to listen through the whole thing. In fact, if we got to the end, I'd probably start choking up. I love this piece so much. But one of the things you notice is that in the harmonies, 
Each individual voice, each individual group of voices, whether it's the basses or whether it's the sopranos or whether it's the tenors or whether it's the altos, they sing as they are best able to sing. The basses don't try to sing the soprano parts. That would be a mess. The tenors don't try to gravel and eat the mics to sing the bass part. Each one has a characteristic of its voice. Whether it is the sharpness of the, of the, the sopranos or whether it is the richness of the bass or whether it is kind of the, the, the tenors as they kind of break through every so often. But each of those individual characteristics is intermingled in such a way that there is an expression of the glory and the praise to God that is absolutely astounding. As I was thinking through the whole racial issue this morning, that idea of harmony, that idea of intermingling, that idea of each part that we play, each of the unique expressions of glorifying and honoring God are to be mingled together in the body of Christ. And so that the body of Christ becomes a declaration of God's harmony, a way of praising him as each part brings the uniqueness of who they are together. And it's blended by the composer and the director into an an incredible expression of praise and glory to God. One of the things singing in the oratorial society is you needed to know your part. One of the choirs that I was a part of, we sang some of these songs, and and what the director would do is one of the scariest nights. He would take one of each of the voices... He would take a bass, a tenor, an alto, and a soprano. Bring them up front. And they would have to sing a cappella, their part, and blend it together. And each one needed to know that specific part that they were playing and to know it well. But there was something else you had to learn. And that was you had to learn to listen. Because as you were singing your part, the purpose was not for you to belt it out so loudly that it overwhelmed anything else, but to listen well. To make sure that as you were singing your part, you were hearing the other parts. You were hearing how they fit into your voice and how your voice fit into theirs. That's God's purpose for all of the races and all of the ethnicity that exists in the world. Is God's purpose is not that there be contention, not that there be divisiveness, not that there be separation, but rather that there would be an intermingling, that together there would be this gathering together, this sharing, this listening to one another, to hear the different parts that we, that we play in this incredible work that God is doing to express it to the glory and to the honor of God.
You see, the church, the body of Christ, we who are called by God and purchased by Christ through his blood have a task before the world. That task is to show the character of God's kingdom. Not in division. Not in separation. But in harmony and intermingling. The church, the body of Christ, his people are the models and the means for accomplishing accomplishing racial harmony. That's a theme all the way through scripture. And I want to take a look at that just for a few moments this morning. Is First, we begin by defining what I mean by racial harmony. I was trying to find a way to describe what I think the the church ought to be, both universally and locally. And I was trying to think about racial reconciliation, but that wasn't quite working. And I thought about blending, but that doesn't work. Because when you blend, usually you end up with this sort of gray yuck in the middle. And as I was reading through several of the articles, this this idea of racial harmony, I thought, that's it. It's not that grace needs to become a black church. It's not that grace needs to become a Korean church. But somehow, grace needs to find a way to intermingle, to harmonize the best of what each of those ethnic groups can bring into our midst and understand that contribution, understand that value, understand that God wants us to be one with the uniquenesses of who we are and how he has created us. So I came across this definition. I thought, that's it. Our aim is racial harmony, the intermingling of that which is right and true and biblical within various cultures for a fuller expression of the kingdom of God in the church, among us, and to the world. Now, there is a standard of evaluating what is good and bad. What is right and wrong? That standard is God's word, not my preferences. If you know me, you know know I don't particularly like country music. I was not raised on it. I endured it while I lived in Louisiana. Some of you love country music. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if it were up to me, I would outlaw it. Somewhere in the Bible it has to say, thou shalt not listen to country music. I know. Of course, some of you are saying, Keith, that stuff you were playing just a little while ago. But the fact is, that's preference. God says, I will be praised in all variety of ways. And I want my people to find a way to intermingle that in a way that declares to God I'm sorry, a way that declares to the world what God is doing. Now, as we begin thinking that through, we're doing this, and we'll be doing this next week, and then I have a couple weeks off, and then we'll come back to it again, and then we have Advent, and then we'll be back to it in the New Year's. But one of the things that we understand is God's word begins and ends with his plan for racial harmony. 
It's part of the theme of Scripture. We saw this a little bit last week when we looked at Genesis chapter 1 through 11, and it reveals that our disobedience corrupted God's plan of diversity into a continual struggle of divisiveness. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God says to Adam and Eve, Go out, swarm the earth, spread out. And we know that in the process of spreading out and people moving to different parts and different climates and different environments and all that takes place, there are, there are cultural changes that begin to, to happen. And there's this wonderful calliope, kaleidoscope, of things that, that are an expression of who we are as human beings. But though God said spread, and you read Genesis chapter 10, and you see the nations spread out, but you begin to say, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. There's no sense of unity. They're warring with one another. They're attacking one another. They're conquering one another. They're seeking to destroy one another. What happened? And then you read Genesis chapter 11. Where God says man was disobeying to God and trying to stay together and make a name for himself, Moses writes. And so God scattered them in confusion. And when you come to Genesis chapter 11, at the end of that section, humanity is a mess. And the question becomes, God, What are you going to do? Comes Genesis 12. And God called Abraham. And he called Abraham and had a purpose for Abraham. And we come to understand that God reveals his plan to restore unity through his covenant people beginning with Abraham, but continuing into eternity. When you come to Genesis chapter 12, God says there in verse 3 that he will bless all families through Abraham. What's interesting is you keep reading, when you get to Genesis chapter 18, it no longer says God will bless all families. It says all nations. And then at the very end of the story, in Genesis chapter 22, he says again that Abraham will be a blessing to all nations. Now, We don't have time to develop, but linguistically and just in the structure of Genesis, what Moses is doing, he's taking Genesis chapter 10, verses 5, verses 15, and verse 20, where he talks about the fact that that, uh, God scattered them into all of these different tribes and all of these different languages, and then he uses two words. He says, and into all these families and into all these nations. And as Moses is writing, he does what's called an inclusio. Isn't that a great phrase? Or an enveloping. And as he begins the story of Abraham, he begins by using the first words in the list, and that is families. But by the end of the story of Abraham, he's using that second phrase, nations. And it's Moses' way to put brackets around and to say, see, God's doing something. God's bringing about that reconciliation. God's bringing about that repair of what it is. 
And so as you begin the story of Abraham, it's the story, yes, of salvation. Yes, the story of restoring our relationship to God. But God doesn't simply call us into a relationship with him so that we can be about this relationship. He also calls us into a relationship with him so that we can be about these relationships. And so you see that story developing. You see it again in the prophets, where the prophets proclaim that the nation of Israel is to be a light unto all of the world, unto all nations, ethne. Well, you see it again in Daniel, where Daniel says that his God has created all of the nations, and he shows it in this incredible statue of gold and silver and bronze and steel and, or iron, and then iron and clay. And as this huge rock comes in to destroy it, the, the declaration is, this is the kingdom of God made up of all nations, all families. But where you see it the best is at the end of the book, in the book of Revelation. For you see, God proclaims his ultimate success in harmonizing all nations in his kingdom. Beloved, if there is a people, an ethnic group, a race that you find to be distasteful, you are in opposition to the very purpose of God. And God says, we will spend eternity together enjoying the uniquenesses of what God has brought into every tribe, into every people, into every language, into every nation. And the word nation is so important. The word translated nations, when we think about nations, we think specifically about a land mass with a group of people with a, a um, government over them. Well, the, the word ethne, the word nations, there's a little bit broader. And we speak more about people groups, ethnic expressions. That's, that's more the idea of the word. And so if you come to the United States, we may be one nation, but there are different ethnic expressions. A little while ago, Disney got themselves into some very serious problems. In their Princess Cookbook, from The Princess and the Frog, set in New Orleans, the cookbook put out a recipe for gumbo. That recipe included kale and didn't even start with a roux. Now, none of you care. You're going, so what? There was so much hate mail from Louisiana because you can't make a gumbo without a roux, it is an ethnic insult. A roux is kind of fried 
flour that you cook up and it gets kind of brown and it becomes the base of your of your of your stock as you put things in now when it comes to gumbo you can put anything in gumbo we used to have an expression we'd have these these board meetings and whatever food was left over whether it was turkey or whether it was chicken or whatever it was it was always at the the next weekend when we had the the gathering of the board we'd always make a gumbo and the expression was put it in the gumbo but to start a gumbo without roux That's vile. That's insulting. That's unheard of. Why? Because even within this nation we call the United States, there are different ethnic expressions, different people groups. Well, that sense of people groups is the idea. God says, in the end, All these unique expressions are combined together, are intermingled together. It's a full expression of glory and honor to God. How do I know that? Well, God's kingdom harmonizes the worship of every type of people, group, or ethnicity. Listen to what Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10 says. You, that is Christ, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men from every... And this comes right out of Genesis 10. Right out of the Greek translation of Genesis 10, the Septuagint, from every tribe and every language and every people and every ethnic group. They're all there. They're all intermingled. And notice what happens. You, God, Christ, made them to be a kingdom and priests. Leading this worship and honoring and glory, praising of God. It's God's aim Priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. But not only do you see that when you get into heaven, you see it throughout all of eternity. I remember studying through the book of Revelation and coming to Revelation, the end in in Revelations 21 and, and 22, and as I'm reading through the end there, all of a sudden it dawned on me. That idea of ethnic uniqueness doesn't end in heaven. We don't get all blended together and play the same harp and where the, you know, it's, it's not like that. It's this intermingling. I think some people's robes are going to be cooler than others. We're going to be gathering together and the music will not mean, to me, heavenly music is the amen chorus. To some of you, heavenly music is, is you know, um, I don't know. Pick a country song. Bluegrass, yeah. But that's not God's picture. See, the the, the creative diversity of these people groups continues throughout all of eternity. Revelation 21, as John is seeing heaven, notice how he describes it. The city, that's the new Jerusalem, which is now inhabiting the earth. Heaven has come to earth. We, we, we misunderstand eschatology if we believe that ultimately it's our purpose to be in heaven. No, the ultimate purpose of God is to bring his presence, to bring his heaven here. 
in a new creation, in a new earth, with a new Jerusalem. And with that new Jerusalem, there's no need for sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is, and the lamb is its lamp. And notice this, the nations, the people groups, will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their unique splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there, because the glory and honor of the people groups, the nations, will be brought into it. Forever. As God is establishing his church, God illustrates this idea about racial harmony among his people. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to put it up on the screen in just a few moments. But in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 recounts the establishment of God's new covenant people. He's establishing his kingdom. He's establishing the church. It is the coming and pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples as they gathered together, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. As God begins and initiates this new work of Christ, as Jesus' earthly ministry was completed, we have now in Acts the continuing ministry of Jesus as he establishes his church, as he establishes his body, as he initiates his kingdom. And the new covenant begins with a unique sign of his purpose. This isn't accidental. Again, some authors believe it is an an actual reflection of Genesis 10 that is coming right out of the, the Jewish understanding of Genesis chapter 10, when suddenly you read that, that the people come together and as the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, there's the, the, the ring of fire that's above them, and then they go out, and as they go out, they begin to, to proclaim the glory and the honor and the greatness of God and the message of the kingdom. And as they're doing it, there's this gathering together at Pentecost of all of these people from all of these lands, and as these disciples, these apostles are preaching, everybody is hearing the message in their language. It's like me standing up here and I'm speaking English, or at least a form of it, and you're hearing it in Korean. Or you're hearing it in, in Chinese. Or you're hearing it in, in you know, Filipino. Or you're hearing it in German or whatever the language is. And utterly amazed, the crowd comes and in verse 7 says, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? You don't hear the insult in that, but it was. These are rednecks. That would be our equivalent. Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language. Parthians, Medes, 
Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, our own tongue. And amazed and perplexed, they start asking this question. What the heck's going on? That's Keith's translation. What does this mean? This is what it means. It means that the confusion and divisiveness resulting from man's disobedience are overcome through faith in the message of the new covenant and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Babel, the tower, is being reversed. Don't miss it. As the church is being established, and I believe that's what Acts 2 is, as the body of Christ is being proclaimed, as the new covenant is being demonstrated, it is an intermingling of all of the different groups that were gathered there. Now, you always have to be careful whenever you use narrative to create theology. You want to find places where that theology that seems to be coming from the narrative is supported by the clear teaching of, of, of God's word. And that's what you find. You find that God's word explains God's plan for accomplishing racial Paul takes what was written in the Old Testament, takes what's going on in Acts chapter 2, takes what was revealed to him through the Holy Spirit, takes all of that and explains to us that God has a purpose. Yes, one of the purposes of the church, in fact, probably the primary purpose of the church, is to create a people before God, to bring us to salvation, to proclaim God's word, to be an ambassador of that message to the world. And if you come to Dave and Debbie's Discovery Club, We talk about, they talk about the need to be God's evangels, God's ambassadors, God's messengers about the gospel, about the relationship we have with Christ. But it goes beyond that. We are not just saved to keep us out of hell. We're also saved to be representatives of God's kingdom. And so what you begin to see is that God fulfills the promise made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, all the way back 4,000 years ago. Paul understands that the church, the body of Christ, is the beginning, the, the, the fulfillment of that promise that was made. Not just to Jews, not just to his family, but to all the nations. We saw this verse a couple of weeks ago, our verses in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, and then verse 14. Consider Abraham. Notice where Paul goes back to. The promise of the 
intermingling, the the promise of restoration, the promise of making things right. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it it was credited to him as righteousness. Understanding that those who believe are children of Abraham. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you put your faith and trust in Christ and what he accomplished on that cross, you are one of Abraham's children. You are part of that family that is blessed, that is made up of the nations, as we'll see in a moment. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might Come to the Gentiles, all the others, through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is within us, yes, to teach us about God. God's Spirit is within us, yes, to lead us and to guide us individually and and as we choose to make our way through the world. But God's Spirit is also inside of us to create that unity, that intermingling, that oneness in Christ. God's word declares that all who accept the gospel are equal members of Christ. I don't care what ethnic background you are. I don't care what, what educational background you are. I don't care what socioeconomic background you are. I don't care what religion you started in. I don't care about any of those things in terms of whether you're a member of the body of Christ. What I want to ask is this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If that is true, then you are members of the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, and we are to demonstrate that in all that we do. And so we read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul continues his writing, you, all y'all, that's that southern ethnicity. It's a plural you. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now you may be reading that and saying, yeah, but the real focus is just Jews and Gentiles, right? He's saying just Jews and Gentiles are now united. No, because as Paul is writing Colossians chapter three he goes on and he expands that in galatians three yes the focus is jews and gentiles why because there was this incredible argument going on in this in the city of galatia because of the division that was taking place between the jews and the gentiles but as he's writing to colossians he expands it beyond that he says here there is no greek or jew okay circumcised or uncircumcised okay we understand that barbarian Ooh. To the Greek, every other ethnic group in the world was barbarian. Paul just expanded it. Scythian. Scythian was those that were considered the thieves, the 
those that were always manipulating and, and trying to steal you of your money. And slave or free, but in Christ is all. I'm sorry, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, when you put it all together, you come up with this. The church, both universal and local, us, we, the church, both universal and local, is to be the model and the means by which God's goal of racial and ethnic harmony is pursued until it is fulfilled completely at his coming. This isn't an option. This isn't a, you know what, Grace, you're excused of this because you live in Bucks County, and Bucks County is 98% Caucasian, Anglo, white, whatever you want to say. It doesn't excuse us from this. We still have things to learn from the black church in Philadelphia or the Korean church that meets here or the Hispanic church that meets you know, somewhere or whatever it might be. We have things to learn. There are things to intermingle that God has demonstrated and others understand better than we do. I still love preaching at black churches. Because in black churches, it was never this quiet when you were preaching. <laughs> Man, you'd get going at me. Hey, man, hey. And, you know, if you hear a good black preacher, a wonderful black preacher will say something like, uh, was somebody going to talk with me? Is somebody going to agree with me? And he, and he has this way of pulling the congregation in. Why? Because there's an understanding in the black church that comes out of the culture, that comes out of actually out of Africa, in which there was never that sense of just sitting there quietly. You participated. You got involved. And if if you've never preached, you probably don't realize this, but as you're preaching out that way and people are responding back this way, then you respond back that way and they respond back this way and you get this incredible give and take and back and forth. In our church, if you go, hey, man, you do it under your breath. Amen, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we have something to learn. My favorite was my, 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 my. That was my favorite response. We have something to learn from, from that intermingling, that, that gathering together, that, that learning from one another and finding ways to do it, finding ways to express it. We to demonstrate that to the world. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, what wasn't particularly revealed in the Old Testament, which... which For ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, and I love this, the manifold wisdom. Now that's a good translation of that word. But the first meaning, the primary meaning of that word that's translated manifold is actually multicolored. 
It speaks of a, of a robe made of, remember Joseph's? Many colors. It speaks of a, of a tapestry with its many colors. It speaks of a bouquet with its many colors. This multi-hued wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now listen. According to his eternal purpose. That sense of finding ways to be intermingled, to be harmonized. Whether we use the word racial, speaking of uh, yes, the kind of the physical aspects, whether we use the word ethnicity, which speaks about all the expressions of our uniquenesses. God says, my purpose all along was to find a way to intermingle that so that the world would see what God is about. Here's the question to end with. Should not this important task of racial reconciliation or racial harmony be a central and intentional aim of all of God's people? And the answer is, I know, we're a white church, don't respond. Yes. Yes. It is. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what we find in your word and the challenge, the the challenge that comes out of our struggle with with our own selfishness and individuality to, to live out the reality of what you long to see in your world and among your people. Father, we long to be that intermingled, that, that expression of the uniquenesses of what you have created, the uniquenesses of our perceptions and our understanding, and to find it gathered together in your people to your glory and to your honor, to show the world a difference and how it's to be done, and then to make that difference in the world through our individual lives. Father, it begins in our relationship with your Son as we become parts, a part of your body. And we invite every Sunday morning anyone who isn't certain of their relationship with Christ to come and speak to me or someone else after the service and to know for certain of that relationship. For all of us, we pray that we would be that expression of diversity, of uniqueness that you seek to blend together in your Son to your glory and to your honor and for your kingdom and accomplished and asked in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.